wrong. Matthew 17, beginning in verse 24. Please stand out of honor to God and His Word as I read through verse 27. And when they were come to Capernaum, they that received tribute money came to Peter and said, Doth not your master pay tribute? He said, Yes. And when he was coming to the house, Jesus prevented him, saying, What thinkest thou, Simon? Of whom do the kings of the earth take custom or tribute? Of their own children or of strangers? Peter said unto him, Of strangers. Jesus said unto him, Then are the children free. Notwithstanding, lest we should offend them, go thou to the sea, cast a hook, and take up the fish that first comes up, and when you've opened his mouth, you shall find a piece of money that take and give unto them for me and thee. Thank you. you. May be seated. So I've entitled today's message the fish tax, the fish tax, because the tax money that was required, Jesus, Peter, got from the mouth of a fish. So we're talking about fishing and fishermen here. I heard a story about three fishermen. They were out fishing and a mermaid swam up. Now, mermaids, of course, are supposed to have magical qualities. And so this mermaid told each fisherman, I will grant each one of you one wish. So the first fisherman said, yes, I would like you to double my IQ. And immediately that man's IQ was doubled. He began to quote Shakespeare. Never did that before. The second fisherman said, I want you to triple my IQ. And so the mermaid waved her hand. His IQ was tripled. And he started doing math calculations in his head he didn't even know existed. The third fisherman said, I want you to quadruple I want you to quadruple my IQ. And the mermaid said, are you sure you want me to do this? He said, yes, I'm sure. Please quadruple my IQ. And the mermaid said, this is going to change your whole life. He says, do it, quadruple my IQ. And just like that, the mermaid turned him into a woman. (laughs) I don't even like that joke. (laughs) Let's look this morning at the fish tax. First of all, looking at the question. The tax collectors asked Peter, they want to know if Jesus is going to pay this tax in verse 24. I mean, maybe Jesus thought he was exempt. You know, formerly trained rabbis back in that day, they were exempt from paying this tax. Now, Jesus accepted the title rabbi, but he was not formally trained. But maybe he thought he was exempt because people called him rabbi. Or maybe Jesus would just refuse to pay. So the tax collectors want to know, is your master going to pay this tax? Well, let me tell you about this tax. This was not a Roman tax. This was a Jewish tax. In fact, they call it the temple tax. And all Israelite males over 20 had to pay this tax. And the purpose of the tax was for upkeep of the temple at Jerusalem. Now, where this comes from, it's in several places in the Old Testament. Let me just show you one in Exodus 30, beginning in verse 13. This shall they give everyone that passes among them that are numbered half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary. A shekel is 20 gerots. A half shekel shall be the offering of the Lord. Everyone that passes among them that are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering unto the Lord. So this was a temple tax. Now by Jesus' day, this tax equaled two days' wages, two complete days' wages. And it could only be paid by the half shekel coin from Tyre. looks like this. Now I know it was a Jewish tax, but The only thing the temple would accept is the half shekel from Tyre. Tyre is not Jewish. Tyre is north of the land of Israel. But anyway, by Jesus' day, the only way you could pay this tax was a half shekel from Tyre. Now, not too many people had money from Tyre. 
And so they'd have to go to the temple and they'd have to exchange the money they had for this half shekel. And in order to do that, they had to go see the money changers. Now you might remember that Jesus had an issue with the money changers. That's in Matthew 21 and verse 12. We'll eventually get to that. But it says here, And Jesus went into the temple of God and cast out all them that sold and bought in the temple and overthrew the tables of the money changers and the seats of them that sold doves. And so to pay the temple tax, you had to go see the money changers. Now, Jesus' problem wasn't with the money changers because he knew that the only coin acceptable was the half shekel from Tyre. His problem was those money changers were charging exorbitant rates to change this money. And that's why he gets upset and cleans out the temple. Anyway, the tax collectors ask Peter, does your master pay the tax? And Peter says in verse 25, yes, he does. How did Peter know? Well, maybe Peter had seen him pay the tax before, but Peter would know anyway because Jesus did everything he was supposed to do. This was the law now. You had to pay the tax. Jesus did everything he was supposed to do, and Jesus did not do anything he wasn't supposed to do. Jesus was perfect in every single way. It doesn't matter where you look in Jesus' life. He was perfect in every way. He was the perfect baby. We read about that and celebrate that at Christmas time. He was the perfect child. Now, my mom is here today, and you can ask her after church who the perfect child was, and she'll tell you it was me. But really, but really, it's not me. It's my hero, Jesus. But he was the perfect baby. He was the perfect child. He was the perfect adult. And we all know he's the perfect Savior. Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of all who would believe. He was buried, and the third day He rose again from the dead. Jesus is perfect in every way. And so, when the tax collector asked Peter, does He pay the tax? Peter knew that was a requirement for the Old Testament law. Even if Peter didn't know otherwise, he would say, yes, because Jesus did everything He was supposed to do, and Jesus didn't do anything He wasn't supposed to do. Now, don't misunderstand. Jesus was not a perfectionist. He was perfect. He was not a perfectionist. He was perfect. And so we see the question. But secondly, let's look at the instruction. Peter comes inside, and Jesus asked Peter where kings get their money. Do they get money from their own children, or do they get money from their subjects or strangers, as it's there in verse 25? And Peter says, well, kings don't charge their children. They charge their subjects. And Jesus says, you're right. And he also concludes that then the king... And the king's children are free. The king and the king's children are exempt. The king doesn't raise taxes from his kids. He doesn't raise taxes from himself. He raises taxes from everybody else. Which means the king and his family are free. So what did Jesus mean here? Well, the temple is God's house. And God is king of the universe. Jesus is God's son. That means Jesus is exempt, he says in verse 26. Further, though, believers in Christ are God's children, and we're not obligated either. Look how John puts it in John 1.12, But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons or the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. So Jesus says, I'm God's son. We're talking about the temple here, the temple tax. I'm God's son. I'm exempt. You're a child of God, Peter, by grace through faith. You're exempt. But, Jesus said, even so, we don't want to offend anybody. Verse 27. 
He says, they're expecting us to pay the tax. So we don't want to offend anybody. And so he says, we're going to pay the tax. Jesus determined to keep the entire law. Even the temple tax, he determined to keep the entire law. He kept the law for us. He fulfilled the law for us. He eliminated the law for us. What do I mean by he eliminated? Look here at Colossians 2.14. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, he took it out of the way, nailing it to his cross. Do you know why we don't bring lambs and rams to church anymore? Do you know why we don't have to jump through all those hoops that the Jews did? Because Jesus took all those rules, all those laws, all those regulations, and had it nailed to the cross with him. And so, my friends, Jesus was determined to keep the entire law. He kept the law for us. He fulfilled the law for us. He eliminated the law for us. So let me ask the question then, as believers, what do we owe? What do we owe as believers? What do we owe God? Well, there is no temple tax, so we don't owe that. And our salvation comes by grace through faith, so we don't owe for that. Well, Brother Gary, what about that weekly offering? You just took an offering. Those, you, you could find the biggest men in the church to pass the offering plates around to intimidate us, and you make us give. What about that? We must owe for that, don't we? That weekly offering is voluntary. It is not compulsory. If somebody is making you put money in the plate, you let me know, and I'll tell them to stop it. But I really don't think any of those men that came there and held out a plate to you. If you didn't put something in, they didn't stand there and just shake it until you put something in it, right? It's a voluntary offering. It is not compulsory. You don't know. Not only that, that offering is to be given cheerfully out of thanksgiving. And that offering recognizes that God is the giver of all that we have. So what do we owe God? We don't owe Him. But let me ask the question a little differently. What do we owe the church? Because that has a different answer. What do we owe the church? Now, first of all, I want you to understand, if you're a member of this church, you voluntarily chose to join this church. Nobody made you join the church. Nobody stood at the door and said, you're not getting out of here till you sign on the dotted line. If you're a member of this church, you volunteered to join this church, and you volunteered that you would owe something to the church. Now what? You owe your resources. Number one, you owe your time. You need to come to church. You need to come to worship services, which all of you are doing right now, obviously. You need to help out when needed. When the church needs your help, you need to help out. You give of your time. You also give of your treasures, your income. Now understand this. The New Testament example of giving is give as you've been blessed. It's not 10%. It's not 15%. It's not 25%. It's give as you've been blessed. Paul writes about that in 1 Corinthians 16.2. He says, On the first day of the week, that's Sunday, let every one of you lay by him in store as God has prospered him, that there be no gatherings when I come. Now, there's a lot in that verse. That could be a whole sermon. In fact, it is, but not today. But notice when they're taking this offering, first day of the week, that's Sunday. It says, Let every one of you... And so this is something... And the offering is something in which everybody participates... But notice it doesn't say make sure you give 10%, make sure you give 25%. It says give as God has prospered. Now giving the tithe, 10%, that's an Old Testament concept. But it's a good starting point for giving. But think about this. If God has blessed you that you could give, let's say, 25%, but you're only giving 10%, you know what you're doing? You're cheating God. Now if He hasn't blessed you to give 25%, don't. 
But if he has, don't stop at the tithe, 10%. Give as God has blessed you. And here's why. Paul writing again, 2 Corinthians 9, 6-7, But this I say, He who sows sparingly shall also reap sparingly. And he that sows bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposes in his own heart, let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now there's a bunch in that verse too. But a couple things I want to point out. He's using a farming analogy. He says if a farmer goes out and just plants a couple seeds in his field, guess what? He's not going to get a bunch of crops. But if he goes out and he plants a bunch of seed, he's going to get a bunch of crops. Not only that, notice he says, every man. This is individual giving, every man. And notice it doesn't say 10%, 15%, 25%. It says, as he purposes in his heart. In other words, your giving is between you and God. Not between you and me. Not between you and each other. Between you and God. And then one last thing. It says, God loves a cheerful giver. You've probably heard this before, but the word cheerful in Greek is hilarion, from which we get the English word hilarious. When we give, we ought to be excited and happy to give. Let me put it this way. If all you have is one penny and the offering plate comes by and you can't give that cheerfully, don't give it. Put it back in your pocket. If you have a thousand dollars, and you can't give that cheerfully? Give it to me. No, 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 I didn't mean to say that. No. Put it back in your pocket. God wants cheerful givers. Hilarious givers. So what do you owe God? Nothing. What do you owe the church that you voluntarily join? Your time. Your treasures. And thirdly, your talents or your gifts. Each believer, if you're a genuine believer in Jesus Christ here, you believe that Jesus died for your sins, was buried and rose again, God has given you at least one spiritual gift. Now, He may have given you more than one, but He's given you at least one gift. And God intends those gifts or that gift to be used in His church. Now, it's okay if you use that gift outside for whatever. You might even make money from the gift that you have. But God intends that gift to be used in His church. And this is what you owe. You don't owe God anything. You couldn't pay Him back anyway. But if you voluntarily chose to join this church, you owe your time, you owe your treasures, you owe your talents. And by the way, when you give your time, your treasures, and your talents, even though you're giving it to the church, you're ultimately giving it to God. But let me ask another question. Why join a church in the first place? Why even join a church in the first place? Church membership is not biblical, like how we do church membership now. It's not even biblical. So why join a church? Well, there are benefits. Number one, you can feel a part of a family. Secondly, you can vote your opinion in business meetings. Thirdly, you have a place to serve God. That's what, that's why you would join a church. But I ask, what do you owe the church? And we dealt with that. What does the church owe you? Does this church owe you anything? Yes. We owe you godly leadership. We owe you conservative Bible instruction, whether it's in Sunday school or through the sermons. We owe you opportunities to serve God, and we owe you a comfortable worship experience. Now, what I mean by that is not that we have padded pews and air conditioning and heat, although that's nice, but we need to provide you a place where you can come to worship God corporately, publicly. It's not, so it's not only you owing the church. The church owes you. Godly leadership, 
conservative Bible instruction, opportunities to serve God, and a comfortable worship experience. And so I ask the question as believers, what do we owe God? Nothing. What do we owe the church, those of us who have joined? Well, we owe the church our time, our treasures, and our talents. The church owes us too. But let me ask this, what do non-believers owe? Somebody who's not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, do they owe God anything? We believers don't owe Him anything, but do unbelievers owe God? Well, think about this. Their sin has offended the Eternal One, which means they owe Him an eternal debt. And this eternal debt can only be satisfied through spending an eternity in hell. If you are not a believer here today, if you've not yet received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, believing He died, was buried, and rose again from the dead for you, you right now owe God an eternity in hell. But don't be foolish. Don't be foolish. You don't have to pay that. You can receive Christ as your Savior. And like that old hymn we sing, Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. You don't have to owe God an eternity in hell. You can receive Christ as your Savior and spend your eternity in heaven. And so we looked at the question. The tax collector comes to Peter. He says, hey, does your master, does Jesus pay his taxes? And Peter, whether he knew or not, he knew Jesus. And he said, yes, he does. Because Jesus was perfect. And then when Peter walks in the house, Jesus says, Hey, listen, where do kings get their money? Do they get their money from their own children or do they tax everybody else? Peter says, They tax everybody else. He says, Well, then you and I, we're free. We're exempt. He says, But we don't want to offend anybody. So let's look thirdly at the provision. Jesus sends Peter fishing in verse 27. He sends Peter fishing. Now, Peter, because he was a professional fisherman, he usually fished with nets because you catch a lot more fish with a net But Jesus tells Peter, take your fishing pole and a hook. Why? Because Jesus was only interested in one particular fish. He didn't want Peter to catch a whole bunch of fish. He wanted him to catch one particular fish. And Peter goes fishing, and he catches a fish with a coin in its mouth. A coin in its mouth. And it just so happens it was just the amount needed for Jesus and Peter to pay their temple tax after they went to the money changers. Does this sound fishy to you? I will tell you in preparing this message, there's a lot of conservative theologians who think this whole story should be taken out of the Bible. They say that did never happen. Jesus didn't intend Peter to go catch a fish with a coin in its mouth. Well, I'm here to disagree with all those conservative theologians. The Bible says this happened, and you know what I believe? I believe it happened. Just as it's recorded for us. But if it sounds fishy to you, think about this. Fish will try to swallow anything. You ever watch a fish in, a, in an aquarium? They go and they swallow the rocks on the bottom of the aquarium. Now they spit them right out, but they swallow the rocks. And if they're swimming behind another fish who happens to go to the bathroom, guess what? They swallow that too, and then they spit it out. Fish will swallow anything. And fish especially like shiny things because they think the shiny thing, it's a shimmer from another fish. And so if somebody happened to drop a coin or two from a boat 
or maybe they were just swimming in the lake and it came out of their pocket, whatever the case might be, a fish would be very likely to swallow that. So the double miracle was not that a fish swallowed a coin. That's not a miracle. That happens all the time. The double miracle was that Peter would catch that particular fish and that that particular fish would contain the exact amount they needed. Learn this, please, from this story. God will provide what you need to do what He has called you to do. Whatever it is God has called you to do, God will provide what you need to do what He's called you to do. Now, God called the Lord Jesus Christ to obey the law. He didn't have two pennies to rub together. So God the Father had to provide a miracle through this fish. But what we see is God provided exactly what Jesus needed to do to fulfill His calling. And whatever it is that God has called you to do, He will provide what you need to do it. And so step out in faith. Step out in obedience. And do what God has called you to do. And He will provide what you need to get it done. As I reflected on this message, it's no wonder that the early church used a fish as a symbol. A couple weeks ago, I showed you different symbols that the early church used. But the main one they used was a fish. And it's no wonder. Because you got this story here. Then you know that seven of the twelve apostles were fishermen themselves. We read about the feeding of the 4,000, the 5,000 with fish and bread. Then in chapter 13 and verse 47 of Matthew, there's the parable of the fishing net. I preached on that about two, weeks, two months ago. And then in Luke 5 and John 21, there's the miraculous catch of fish where John tells us that, that Peter caught 153 fish. Jesus promised to make His disciples fishers of men. Is it any wonder the early church used the fish as a symbol? I'm not here to promote the Catholic Church, but I find this historically interesting that ever since the 12th century A.D., each pope has worn a ring called the fisherman's ring. It looks like this. Now, this was Pope John Paul's. And so they get a new one made with their name on it. But the picture is the same. Peter fishing. And ever since the 1200s, the Pope has worn the fisherman's ring. It is no wonder the early church used the fish as a symbol. Because there's so many fish stories in all the scriptures. Now you may know about the Christian fish. It's called an ichthys. Ichthys. And you might see it there in my notes. I-C-H-T-Y-S. Ichthys. Well, that doesn't make any sense. But ichthys is actually the Greek word for fish. And so the Christian fish is called an ichthys because the Greek word for fish is ichthys. Not only that, but this fish could be used as an arrow. You see, back in the early church days, it was illegal to meet as Christians. It was illegal to worship God. And so you needed to let fellow Christians know where you were meeting. So you could use these fish, and the front of the fish looks like an arrow. And so you could put these fish, and people could follow the fish, follow the arrows, to get to the worship service. And the Romans and others that would have persecuted the church, they just thought people liked fish. But did you realize that the Christian fish is also an acrostic, an acrostic. You may have seen people have this fish on their car and then it's got some funny looking characters inside the fish. Now these are more like cursive characters. I couldn't find the ones that you normally see which are, they're actually capital 
Greek letters, but they're the same. But it looks in English like IX0 <laughs> US is what it looks like. But each one of those letters stands for something. You see it translated on the side there. Jesus Christ, God's Son, Savior. So when you see somebody with that fish on their car, what they're saying is, I'm a Christian. And if that fish has those funny-looking Greek letters in the middle, they're saying, here's what I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is God's Son, the Savior. But I know none of us in this room, myself included, speaks Greek. I used to. I don't anymore. Been too many years. But I do speak English. And I'm a pretty good speller in English. And so I thought I would give you an acrostic for fish in English. And here it is. F, Father. I, I am. S, Son. H, Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing that the Greek word for fish comes right out to Jesus Christ, God, Son, Savior. And even the same word in English, you've got the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, all of whom is God, whose name is I Am. And let me tell you a little secret. When I showed this slide in early service, Mike knows, I didn't have anything for I. I've been struggling for weeks to find something that goes in for the letter I. And a lady came up to me afterwards because I said, maybe you guys could help me so that late service will get the whole thing, F-I-S-H. She said, what about I am? I was like, why didn't I think of that? That's so simple. It's so easy. And it's perfect because that's God's personal name. And so you don't do the Greek stuff? I'm sure you can spell fish in English. And every time you see the word fish or every time you see one of those fish, remember the Trinity. God exists as a Trinity. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And God's personal name, I am. And so today, as we looked at the fish tax, we see the question. The tax collector comes to Peter and says, Hey, does your master pay tax? Peter said, Yes. Had Peter see him, seen him pay the tax? Or did Peter just know Jesus would do the right thing because he always did the right thing and he never did the wrong thing? Either way, Peter says, Yes, he does. Then we see the instruction. Peter comes to the house and Jesus says, Listen, where do kings get their money? They get it from their own kids or they get it from their subjects? Peter says, from their subjects. Jesus said, that's right. I'm free, you're free. Because we're the children of God. But let's not offend anybody. So I want you to pay the tax. I'm sure Peter's like, where am I going to find that kind of money? Between the two of us, that's four days wages. Where am I going to get that kind of money? Jesus says, go fishing. Peter's like, I'm listening. <laughs> okay. You catch a fish, open its mouth. You'll see there's enough money in there for you and me. Once you go see the money changers, there's enough for us. Pay the tax. Because of this story and so many others in the Scriptures, we now know why the early church chose the fish as their symbol. Because there's so many stories about fish, catching fish, and so on. Remember, when you see that ichthus with the Greek letters in it, now you know. If you didn't know, you know what they mean now. The fish itself means that person is a Christian, but they also believe Jesus Christ is God's Son, Savior. But even in English, now, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, whose personal name is I Am. So the invitation this morning, I mentioned this earlier, please, right now as an unbeliever, you owe God an eternity in hell, but you don't have to pay that because Jesus will pay that for you.
But in order to get that payment, you need to receive Jesus as your personal Savior. You need to believe He died on the cross to pay for your sins, that He was buried for your sins, and He rose again the third day. Please do not leave this place owing God an eternity in hell. Receive Christ, and you're on your way to heaven. And for those of us who are already believers, we're already Christians. Maybe you have that Christian fish on your car. Well, if you do, people see it. You better not be cutting people off in traffic. You better not be speeding. And when somebody cuts you off, you better not be using certain hand motions. (laughs) Because you're claiming, Jesus Christ is my Savior. He changed my life. And that'll show up in church, that He changed your life. It'll show up at home. It'll show up when you're driving. It'll show up everywhere. Because Jesus comes into our hearts and He changes us completely from the inside out. And He changes us forever. So live as a Christian that you claim to be. And one other thing, believer. Never doubt God's Word. There are no mistakes in God's Word. There's nothing in there that shouldn't be in there. Oh, how'd that get in there? What about this fish with a coin in his mouth? I think that's fake. That's... Nuh-uh. Believe every single word of God's Word. He doesn't make mistakes. There are no accidents. He gave us what He wants us to have. Believe it. Believe it. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. Even this story, which maybe at first sounds a little fishy, but thank You, Lord, for giving us Your Word and for being so gracious and kind to us. But we pray mostly, Father, for those maybe who still owe you an eternity in hell, may they never have to pay that. May they receive you as Savior right here, right now, in this place, or watching online. Save their souls. Wipe out that eternal debt and give them eternal life. And for those of us who are believers, may we never doubt your word. May we never doubt you. May we believe you. And may we live as though you live in us because you do. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.